Want to get your hands on some Boxes and Lines socks? Very, very easy to do. Tell us a little about yourself and our survey, and we'll send you a pair for free. Just go to custom.sockclub.com slash IEX. You won't regret it. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of Boxes and Welcome Lines. To boxes and Lines. That's actually John Ramsey, no <laughs> Irish accent. You know, I'm, today, trying to, I'm trying to shake it up a little bit. Uh, the Irish thing's getting a little tedious and trying to, you know, we need to stay I, fresh. I, I don't know. The, and then, the crowd tell me they love it. Uh, we have three guests on today. Three guests. Can we handle three? I don't know, John. We'll, we'll see at the we'll end of try, this. We'll try, you know. Uh, so uh, I'd like to welcome first Dave Dalzell, the CEO and founder of Dalzell Trading, Lance Meyerwich, uh, Chief Revenue Officer of Dalzell, and Brian Morin, CEO of, sorry, Brian Moran, as you say, in America, CEO and founder of Flex Distributions. <laughs> Sorry about that, Brian. I know I asked you before and I couldn't even do it. It's really, really hard. It, it, it's all good. <laughs> so thanks, thanks, guys, for joining us. I thought it'd be interesting, sort of a question I asked you, like how you guys met up and why we have you both on the podcast, and then we'll start to answer questions. I don't know, Dave, if you want to go first or Brian. Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll kick it off. Thank you, uh, first of all, for, for, for having us on your podcast. I think it's a fantastic medium and listen to many of them. It's really well done. <laughs> and you but, still um, decided to come so, on. That's the amazing thing. Well, <laughs> yeah, God bless you. Excellent. This, this guy's crazy. <laughs> so I've already set you up for one zinger. Okay. Well, so, so yeah, Delzell Trading and Flex Distribution, how we came about is, uh, you know, at Delzell Trading, we've been looking for the right firm in, in different areas to partner with for quite a while. And we learned earlier this year of, of Flex distribution and Flex was really a very simple decision for us just based on their commitment to their clients, their robust offering, which I'll let Brian discuss and the character of their team and just how much both sets of clients at both of our firms can really benefit from each other firm's experience, expertise and offerings. I mean, we're, we're thrilled that Flex distribution and Dalzell trading are together and that we are going to be their trade execution offering. Yeah, fantastic. I was going to bring uh, Brian into the conversation because just for the listeners to know, like a, a hot topic this day, uh, these days in the market, especially when you go to conferences, they should are all over Zoom these days, but still everybody talks about the outsourced buy side desk. And mainly when you think about it, you think about it from just the execution side, but from a flex standpoint, there's a lot more to it to outsource in conjunction with the execution side which is what the Dalzell boys bring to this. So I thought it'd be interesting to first sort of ask, ask you, Brian, a question like, how does a firm like yours, like Flex, fit into the outsourcing ecosystem? What are people outsourcing to you separate to what they would be doing with uh, Lance and Dave? Yes, and thank you, guys. At, at very high level, people and firms in particular are all facing a very similar situation with the COVID environment. And that is they have expensive, they have inefficient distribution models. And by distribution, I really mean sales, marketing, enterprise relationship type of, uh, type of roles. And these models are under tremendous pressure and firms are trying to think creatively of how to adapt and evolve in today's world, but moving forward in what will be a different type of environment uh, than we've historically grown up in. And so I think when you think about outsourcing, Traditionally, outsourcing has is, is always been here in some shape or some form for uh, sales and distribution, but it's become increasingly important. It's really, it really is probably one of the biggest topics at every firm today 
simply because one, it's a huge expense on the P&L, but two, it's also critical to their future growth. Yeah, so, so what, go ahead, John. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Ron. Can't wait to hear this I, one. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so I often, uh, you know, people often think of outsourced services generally as being things that have become commoditized in one way or another. And I, I gather that that's not entirely true with the, the, the services that you're providing, because obviously different firms have different needs in terms of both, both distribution and on the execution side generally. So can you talk a little bit about how it is you provide services to people that, are, that appropriately recognizes the differences between your different clients and, and provide sort of bespoke services, if you will, that really speak to their individual needs? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, first, I should probably take a step back. I, I look at us more as a platform, a platform that offers up the ability for, in this case, asset managers or wealth managers to outsource many of the components of the front office. And by that, I mean the client-facing segment of the business or the, the revenue-oriented side of the business. That historically, to your point, John, has not been something that's been commoditized by any means. But I think what's driving this is you have a mismatch of the business model and the products. And what I mean by that is traditionally asset managers build out secular business models. They fill in all of these different verticals, yet their product tends to be cyclical. And if you think about that nature, just the nature of that relationship, at some point in time, there is a natural mismatch that occurs. And I think that inefficiency, especially in an environment like we're in today with COVID and, and the inability to do business as you always have, it's forcing the front office for the first time to go into more of a sharing economy type of discussion. Right. So, so it's definitely cost-driven, but more than just cost at a simplistic level, it's also allowing firms to be more nimble in adjusting to changing market conditions and figure out what they need at any one point in time. Is that a... Complete, yeah, yeah, completely. But I, I would say it's, co- it's heavy cost, obviously, but it's also about growth, right? I mean, firms are struggling in today's, in today's environment, um, in the asset management space, to think about how they're going to raise their next fund because it's become so top-heavy with the, you know, the largest 10 asset managers control a significant portion of the market share. And that, and that, creates, and that creates a challenge for thousands of asset managers. So you have to, you have, to have a distribution and a growth plan you know, it makes a lot of sense. Like John and I and a lot of listeners of this podcast view like outsourcing on the buy side more from like the trade execution side, which is which is what uh, Dave and Lance can talk about. And it's a you know, like I said before, it's a it's a pretty hot topic these days. Is what you're doing, Brian, something new to the industry? Or, or have you seen like so outsource trading has been around for a long time, for example. But I would say over the past eighteen months, I've never heard it talked more about, and probably due to COVID, it will be talked about even more. Is that similar with your type of business? Yeah, I think outsourced distribution has is, is been around for some period of time. I think the way that we're implementing it is slightly different by building out more of a sharing economy mindset, mixing technology with the human relationship element. But in all fairness, this using outsourced salespeople has been around for decades. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So let's go over to uh, Dave and Lance, outsourced trading. Uh, obviously, I know what it is, but please, for the listeners, if you wouldn't mind, just explain, you know, what it is and how it compares differently to the outsource functions that Brian was talking about. 
And then the second part of this very long question that John will hit me with is, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, why, actually, why he doesn't bike? really know very yeah. much what it is. He's just trying to uh, get you. But to I explain sound smart, so right? And then, yeah. why would a buy side want to use outsourced trading, and is is it met with resistance? I'll I'll jump in, Ronan, yeah. on the question. And first, I would say I view it as actually the complete opposite of a commodity at this point. You're you're picking up a specialization that you might not get when you're starting out and you're looking to hire a trader. You're not going to go out and hire, you know, a rod as your head of trading desk. You're going to end up hiring someone that probably is inexperienced. Where in this case, you're going to get right out of the box, at least at Dalzell Trading a team of traders that have been doing this for you know several decades and they've seen all kinds of different markets. And so right out of the gate, you're gonna get something that you would have never gotten and you never could have afforded by the way. And the difference yep. is really, you know, when you think about all the software companies and I think it was Adobe that first sort of switched over to the subscription model. You're gonna pay a monthly price no matter what every single month and, and you know, Netflix did this, I think, and there was an outrage that they actually went through their customer base and said, wait a minute, you guys are paying us on a monthly basis, but you're not using our service. And, you know, anybody who, who was, you know, this is not a not-for-profit, right? Like, this is a company that's going out and doing the right thing and going, hey, do you know you're paying us 15 bucks a month and not consuming versus outsourced trading? You only pay when you consume. And the only way you pay is by trading. So it's actually a model that you're you're taking something that's a fixed cost and you're com you're converting it to something that is fully variable. And I think the other thing, and I and I laughed when when I saw this, but you know, Mike Tyson famously said that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And <laughs> yeah, I know, love that quote. COVID is literally the punch in the mouth where a lot of things that have already been outsourced. We're, we're pretty low hanging fruit. You know, if it's an operations role, if it's a legal role, if it's a CFO role, there's a lot of things out there that you can outsource where not to make them less important, but when you think about a trading desk, there isn't a place, you know, at the firm where there could be a potential greater swing in P&L. And so, you know, the other thing I think about a lot is the idea of an outsourced trading desk. Effectively, almost every hedge fund or investment manager right now has an outsourced trading desk, right? It's their own desk, right? Because they're all, I mean, who, who's in the office? I mean, there are some folks that are back, but quite frankly, yep. everybody has an outsourced trading desk. So to answer your question, the only difference between us as your outsourced trading desk and your own internal trading desk is we're not technically an employee, but we view ourselves as 100% aligned. Yeah. You know, I'd like to jump in and just add to it. Well, you asked the second question, like why would a uh, buy side, why would the buy side outsource their trading? And just quickly, uh, briefly, before I get into that, I'd like to back up and and talk just a little bit about why and how we built Delzell Trading. You know, what how we view this space, and you know, it goes hand in hand with you know what outsource trading really is uh, or should be. And, you know, I'm going to scare you a little bit in the beginning, probably with uh, going back a couple of decades in, in a moment <laughs> with, with the beginning of this, but don't worry, I'm not going to go through every year of my life. But so we, we, you know, as you said, Ronan, you referenced that the Delzell boys is providing trade execution. Yes, we're an outsourced trading firm. More appropriately, though, to our clients, we're an outsourced buy side trading desk. A lot of firms claim, yeah, we act like the buy side. Well, we we're aligned, as Lance said, in every way with each client's firm and their interests. So this is where this is where it could scare some people. My journey started actually when I was seven years old. 
Don't worry. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> here worry. we go. Oh, oh man, yeah. it's one. It's yeah. one of these guys. Three Randy. hours later. <laughs> yeah. No, so now it's nine p.m. Yeah. No. Um, it's 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 important. It's germane to why we're here. And and one Saturday morning, you know, I did not grow up with a, a ton of money at all. But my dad was sitting there looking at what was what was a newspaper. A lot of the kids listening don't know what those are probably, but he was looking through. It's the only way you could get stock quotes, and he found. You know, he was looking up his stocks on a Saturday morning. Once a week, he would get the quotes, and he probably owned like three utilities, 100 shares each. It was almost nothing. And I asked, I learned, and I started following every Saturday morning in a notebook the prices of these stocks, and I, and I really got the bug. And that basically, from then on, has culminated in Delzell Trading. Learned portfolio management, earned the Chartered Financial Analyst designation, helped build BlackRock's trading desk from five to 25 on three highly respected desks where the focus was always on the needs of each PM. And now to get to today, we built Delzell Trading in that same vein. I think that's what we've accomplished. And you know, now to get to the precise question, why would the buy side outsource their trading? You know, they're, not every creature, not every firm is the same, but in general, to reduce expenses, Brian touched on that. It's a big deal right now in this industry. There's a lot of fee compression. It's tough to raise assets. Uh, improve your performance. Enhanced technology is another reason the buy side may outsource. You know, our budget is to have the best technology and to be able to provide that to all firms, not just the Black Rocks of the world. We increase our clients' scale and capacity by giving them a team of traders. Oftentimes, firms have zero or one trader a larger broker network, proprietary trading strategies. And of course, we provide third-party TCA, CSA relationships, anything and everything that a buy-side desk would want or a manager would want, we're able to provide. And we, we say all the time how we are aligned with their needs. We know the managers want to maintain control of their order flow. We've built this to be a very flexible platform whereby everything we do, the buy-side can dictate to us, this is how I want you to do it, and we'll do it that way. So. That's why the buy side would outsource their trading because they get all of those benefits at no fixed cost to their firm. Yeah, where, where, where my question was coming from was more like, so as when, you know, when I heard Lentz speaking, he was talking about when you're starting off a firm, I think it makes complete sense. Uh, not that it doesn't make complete sense when you have a, a, an established firm. Question is more around like, as I've been at conferences and seen people talk, obviously people are in a self-preservation mode in a, a difficult time, like you're exactly right, COVID is being difficult. I guess I would imagine you're met with resistance by the buy-side trading desk, whereby they think being a full-time employee of the firm, they're providing X, Y, Z additional value that an outsourced firm can't. So it was more, it was more of a question and not, 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 not nowhere near an attack on the business whatsoever. I'm just kind of curious on, um, you know, and, and a question to Brian, is it easier to sell your services uh, and be adopted by a startup firm as opposed to an established firm? Wow. I, I, can anybody remember what the question Here was? Here he goes. Jesus I'm, sorry, please go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I it, was, it was absolutely, it was, it was brilliant. <laughs> Thank it was you, brilliant. see? It was brilliant <laughs> <laughs> you can come back. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I think, it, you know, I'm laughing a little because this morning I had a call with a smaller firm where the individual, one of the individuals in the phone was a head of the, their sales, I guess, and was very threatened by the whole concept of partnering. And, and the funny thing is, from, from where the decision is made, it's usually made in the C-suite, the executive suite around, 
what you're going to do with your distribution strategy, because that really is your revenue and growth strategy, right? So that's one of the reasons why we are bolting on and partnering with so many great firms that are willing to be in this period of cooperation, as I'll call it. We're bolting on these things because it makes the decision at the, at the higher levels of the organization even that much more easy to make, right? It's you're getting all of this wrapped into one relationship. But when we talk to firms, you're going in with a model that could be viewed as disruptive to the existing employee base. You've got to be empathetic and you've got to be very sure about what direction you want to take it. And we have three types of scenarios that play out. We have what I'll call the build from nothing, which is where they don't have it. And that's a small firm. We have the merge where we have firms that will actually merge their teams into our platform because it'll help them. And it actually helps their employees. It gives their employees more to offer to the, to their, their, their client base. And then three, it's a supplemental. We have a lot of firms that look at us, especially on the distribution side, as a supplemental team, right? We are, there are certain channels where you're not going to have a great ROI and it's going to cost you a lot of money to invest in the headcount needed to grow it. We are a more sensible economic solution. Cool. And John, uh, ROI means return on investment. I just know you've been scratching your head since you heard that. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I, I knew exactly what it meant, Ronan. He looks for no, uh, he misses no opportunity to demean to, to, to me. A question to uh, Lance, like COVID period was the punch in the mouth. I like it. Has that punch in the mouth resulted in people realizing they, they need to adapt and are they doing so quicker now or like, how, how is business for you guys over COVID? It's definitely something that has sparked a lot more conversations and people are embracing it. You know, I think this is something, especially outsourced trading, has been pushed always to the, to the back burner, right? But now people are realizing first and foremost that they can do this and that they are doing. And I want to I, I directly, you, you know, comment on your question. And it's, you know, the only thing constant in life is change. The only thing constant in this business, I mean, more so I would say on the sell side than the buy side is, is change. I mean, I started out in this business in, in the mid nineties, you know, as a NASDAQ sales trader and trader, you know, and, and back then we had different people sitting trading NASDAQ stocks versus listed stocks. I mean, think about that. You, you know, there were two different roles there. Whereas today it's about reinvention. And this is not for everybody. This is not for every size firm. It, it could be an augmentation to a desk. It could be their only desk. But the point is, we're not a threat to anybody's job. And if someone thinks that we're a threat to their job, then they should look you know, deep inside themselves and say, well, what am I doing? And or maybe what should I be doing differently? You, know, you have to evolve. People evolve and you have to innovate. And this is a way that we think is innovative. It's a way to be innovative. And, and so you could be a small shop, but by the way, if you are trading constantly and you're trading around the globe, you know, this might not be the right fit. If you've got different PMs all over the planet and, you know, again, there is a, an activity level that is something that you really want someone in-house then okay, that's fine. And Dalzell might not be your flavor. So, you know, this is real and, it, and it's not going to go away. And, and, and I would imagine that just to the process of talking to you guys may cause firms to think more in a more disciplined way, way more thoroughly about what they need, why they need in-house resources and what they need them for. I and mean, obviously not all functions can be 
could could be outsourced. I mean, just as an example, the services that I provide for IES are, are unique and important, and um, yeah. you couldn't possibly That's right. do those. Brian, don't outside. don't tell him about the See? conversation we had yesterday. Yeah. This is going to get I, really I, awkward right now. I served you, served you up a softball run, and you never say I, I didn't do anything for you. Okay, I love you like a pet rock. Stay with us. A question for Dave then, and uh, maybe Lance. You know, how do you think about best execution? So it, it, it comes down to it. Someone realizes they have a need. You guys have the decades of experience. It is a true outsourced buy side trading desk. How do you view best X? And is that like in a consultative way with the, the firm? Like, do you, do you trade differently depending on the buy side firm that's using you? Like, how does that work in the model? Yeah, uh, that's so that's that's really the focus for the fiduciary, for the managers and for us. So yes, it's a it's it's vital and important no matter what. We we first when we think about best X, we start with each manager, each client independently. We learn their process as much as they want to tell us about their portfolio management process, everything they do, how they want to trade. We have in-depth discussions about what we believe are the best ways to trade for their process. So that's a great foundation for best X, just knowing the client, not just executing their trades. And from there, you know, we've invested in third-party TCA, and we are independent and conflict-free. We have no vested interest to trade in a particular venue or any strategies. We, no one's holding a gun to our head say, do this, don't do that with trades, except the PM can if they want to. So, you know, real-world examples, just real quickly. We had one options trade a couple of years ago where the client was, tip, was used to trading their options directly with their PB, and they weren't thrilled with the execution quality. They didn't know enough to really evaluate it, but upon evaluation, they shouldn't have been thrilled with the execution quality. And just a real quick example, they come to us with a, with a pretty widely spread option, and it's $1.2220. They want to buy it. So there's no question. Every time they had bought options previously with their, with their previous broker, they were always buying on the offer side, selling on the bid side. Well, we executed this for them at the midpoint. It was a dollar spread, so it saved them 50 cents. It's only a $34 million asset manager, but the $120,000 in savings on this number of contracts was 40 basis points to their performance in one trade. That's, that's, that's big. That, that helps with best X, obviously. You know, so that's, that's just one real-world example, and, and we, have, we have plenty more examples like that. You know, one analysis we did just on algo trading with another client they wanted us to trade a specific manner. They had done their research and we went to them and said, we think there's another way to do it. Let's talk about this. Long story short, the client was thrilled after this was all said and done that the switch based on TCA and historic TCA was a 20 basis point improvement to their performance. It was over $60,000 to another relatively small manager. It's, it's a big deal, but that's how we think of best X is every single trade, do the best job exactly how the PM would want us to do and have conversations with them about what their needs are. The most important thing is what the goal is of the PM or the analyst, right? First and foremost, if someone wants to get something done, you know, there's an expertise that we bring to the table where we know based on liquidity, we know based on a lot of factors that we can at least handhold that individual where, you know, Dave, you know, glossed over it a bit, but Dave spent a lot of time in building out Delzell trading on specifically picking out every single technology 
you know, software, hardware, what are we going to use? And, and that was critically important, I think. Nice. John, do you have a question? <laughs> I can you, see him. He's always <laughs> reading my facial expression. He's like, well, can you give us, are there examples that you can think of, of cases where people have sought to outsource certain kinds of functions and then regretted it or that, or, or it wasn't the right, it wasn't the right match for what it was they wanted to do. Cause clearly there have to be circumstances where um, it, it's not, it's not the right solution for every kind of business that somebody is involved in. Yeah, I can hop in. I mean, I, I think uh, as it relates to distribution, I'll, I'll look at it that way in sales and marketing you generally will see people that are disappointed or firms that are disappointed with an outsourcing decision. If expectations and sort of goals and objectives were not clearly discussed up front, right? And, and it's also, you know, you can't assume outsourcing, especially in sales and or marketing is going to be able to turn water into wine, right? This is, it is a contact sport when it comes to growing your company and saying to somebody else. And I only say this and sure, just like Dave and Lance as, as entrepreneurs, but also as founders and, and owners, ultimately you, you have to be committed to getting involved and being involved in an active participant in your growth. And if you think you can just hand the keys over to somebody else and they're going to do it, that's when you tend to see outsourcing in some ways fail. You, you should have a relationship with your partners. You should have con contact with them. They should understand what drives you, what motivates you. When you don't have that, that's when outsourced relationships really struggle because it's, there, there's really no relationship being built. It's about managing expectations. It's about under-promising and outperforming. You know, the thing also about Dalzell Trading is we have a team of experienced traders. We don't hand off trades to some junior level person because that kind of defeats the point of what we're selling, right? We're not selling, you know, somebody who will work your order and they might've been out of school for a year or five years. We're selling a desk of experts. Listen, Every firm is different. And I think, you know, there, there, there's talk of call it three different flavors, right? There's the truly independence. We put ourselves in a bucket of truly independent. We're not owned by a parent company. We're not owned by someone who offers PB. We just trade. We're not doing anything else. We're not, you know, selling frequent flyer miles. We don't, you know, we're not doing, you know, cap intro. We do one thing. There are other investment managers that offers this service. There are custodians that offer it. And I think that's the important thing about our sales pitch to beginning. Hopefully, you know, we send somebody away when it's appropriate. You, you know, yep. I always laugh about that in my career where, you know, sometimes the best advice giving, you know, when you give it to a client is this is the wrong call, right? Like you're best served by somebody else. Right. Sort of like what I talked about earlier with Netflix, you know, calling someone up and say, hey, by the way, do you know you're paying us 15 bucks a month? You know, where someone would say, oh, why would you do that? Why would you make the call? You know why? Because it's the right thing to do. So, I haven't been at Dalzell as long as Dave has been there since he's built it, but, but that's not, you know, something that we've dealt with. I mean, are, are there sometimes people that are unhappy over situations that happen if they're nothing to do with us? And that's also how you handle things. How do you handle those, those scenarios? And I think that's really important as well. 
you know, Lance, your last part, that happens when you're an in-house buy side trader as well. Exactly. You're not, you're not always going to do something with an order that the PM thinks it was the right way to handle the order, or they might not understand it. I mean, like we had a lot of feedback from the buy side in the March, April timeframe with all the volatility, with all the volume hitting the tape and people were having difficulty participating with it. But when people really peel back the onion, like a week or so later, they saw that the denominator totally changed. It was a ton of trading happening off exchange and you see hundreds of thousand shares of XYZ printing and your trader, whether they be Lance at Dalzell or whether they be trader within the firm, the perception is they're not achieving it. So yeah, I totally get that. Totally makes sense. No, it's, a, it's an interesting topic and I'm sure this is a topic that will be, you know, hot to trot, but I think it'll, it'll only uh, come up more and more, I think, with the uncertainty around uh, when we go back to the office. And it was kind of like an, an, an interesting thing you said at the beginning, uh, Lance, around how during COVID, you, your outsourced trading desk looked like any inside trading desk looks like That's when right. you're all remote anyway. So it's kind of a, a good, a good uh, guinea pig for it. Um, Ronan says yeah. when we come back to the office, we actually are back in the office. He's sitting in his office right now. I was, I was very happy being out in Quag, and he, he dragged me, dragged me back. <laughs> okay, so ofi- officially it's me. voluntary. So a question we yeah. have for you all, which is a standard question we have for all our guests. I'll, I'll give it to John Ramsey to ask because he's just sitting there <laughs> fucking useless today. I might edit that out. I might edit that. That was mean. That, that was mean, right, John? That was mean. That was mean even for you. Okay, yeah. ask the question. What would you say is your favorite Wall Street movie? This is Dave. I'll go, I'll go first. Trading Places is my favorite Wall Street movie just because it's hilarious. It's technically Philadelphia, not Wall Street, but it, it's in the class. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I could easily say, you know, Wall Street, Boiler Room, Wolf of Wall Street. They're, they're thrilling. They're fantastic. A lot of hedonism there in those. <laughs> so maybe up Ronan's alley, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but a little, a little over the top, but I, I love Trading Places. I mean, you know, it's just, it's it's, no, it's an forever. epic movie epic movie i agree brian what about you i'll go a different tack because all those movies i i uh i definitely love i'll just i i think my my favorite scene in a wall street movie though has to be the, the scene from wolf of wall street when dicaprio's getting when he's making his speech to the crowd about he's not leaving yes there's there's no more entertaining scene in a movie than watching the reaction of the of the audience, and uh, it's it's a great it's an awesome. That scene. was a that was a phenomenal scene. It's actually funny. Um, this taping is happening on November 10th, so the week after the election, and not picking sides here whatsoever. But there was a financial meme out where. It was sort of that scene with Trump's head on DiCaprio's body <laughs> where he starts going, you know what? I'm not leaving. And, and to your point, Brian, it was the National goes, Guard. Ah, ah. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty funny. Lance, I don't, I don't, know, if you can, I don't know if you can top that one. <laughs> I, I'm actually also going to take it old school. Uh, Wall Street to me is just, it's a simple classic. And forgetting all the nuances, it is a basic model of what went wrong, right? Greed is good. Start from there and everything else just explodes out of that. And you, you can understand it without, you know, getting into all the electronics and everything else. You understand all the different players, right? And how they all interrelate to each other. It's just, it's timeless, you know, and you see the, you know, them talking on bricks and the, the monitors that are, you know, people don't even know that there were yeah. something other than a flat panel. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, it, it's funny. That movie is often attributed to a lot of people for the reason why 
they started on Wall Street. Yep. And it reminds me of uh, Michael Lewis. And if you hear him talk about Liar's Poker. Yep. Uh, he originally wrote Liar's Poker to try and sort of accentuate what an effed up industry it is. But it then served as like a Bible for so many people. And I, and I, ha I have to admit, when I read it, I thought it sounded cool. And I wanted to be part of Wall Street. But it's exactly the opposite of what he's going for. Right. I'm not saying that's what Oliver Stone was doing with Wall Street. But uh, it had the opposite effect to greed is good. You would think it would dissuade people. But I think it had the opposite effect. Great movie, though. Really great movie. <laughs> So, Ronan, do we have any parting gifts for our uh, guests? Yeah, yeah we, we always give our guests a pair of their very own Boxes and Lions socks. Yay! Wait a minute. How come we're not getting Boxes and Lions masks? I mean, is that... Yeah, you know, we haven't... We, we, we haven't... Haven't ordered any we have, <laughs> I, we're going to have to get we're going to have to get the marketing people on. Yeah, that. exactly. Uh, come on. You make, make the socks a mask. I'm not going to yeah, see my socks. Say. Cut a mm -hmm. hole in the mask and where does it get in the in the sock and where does a gator if you've got a really I, skinny by the way I saw somebody running the other day with a sock around their face as their mask. Really? Yes. Oh, there yes. you go. There you we're, go. We're, we're oh, sending you two masks then. <laughs> two for one Fantastic. only today. <laughs> anyway, look, we, we really appreciate you guys getting on the the podcast. It's very informative. It's a hot topic. And uh, we appreciate you getting on and, and covering that. And John, you want to do your, your send off? Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Boxes and Lines, our wee little podcast. He's so morose. We hope you today, come everybody. back again. It yeah, was right. a pleasure. We'll out. Thanks, guys. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only. And IEX Group, Inc. and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversations may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group, Inc. All rights reserved.